Hey everyone, welcome to Found, the podcast where we bring you the stories behind the startups. But before we dive into today's episode, first a few housekeeping notes. First, a reminder that you should rate and review the show if you like what you're hearing here. We want to give a shout out to Dan17779998777 for leaving such a nice review for us last week. And also wanted to note that you should come see us at Early Stage. We're going to be doing a live recording on stage. It's going to be really fun. Lots of fun activities throughout the day. And as a found listener, you can use code found for 40% off discount on founder and investor passes. That event is on April 20th and it is in Boston. But focusing back on today's episode, I'm excited to be joined by Amanda Silberling. While Daryl is off jet setting and girl bossing out of the office, how's it going, Amanda? It's going well. I just am really, uh, I want to know the backstory behind the username Dan one seven 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 nine 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 eight seven seven. Like I know, it's like seems like it's not random numbers. Like it's too long, mm-hmm. and there are too many repeat numbers for it to be random. It's like in the TV show Lost when they're obsessed with those numbers, and like I'm just gonna be staring at it. Like, what is Dan trying to tell us? That he loves the show. Exactly. And speaking of <laughs> today, we have a great guest. We have Sarah Peterson, who's the co-founder and COO of The Nudge, which is a text-based app that helps you make plans in your city by sending you little updates once a week with some ideas of things to do. Here's our conversation with Sarah. Amanda and I are joined today by Sarah from The Nudge. Sarah, how are you doing today? Doing well. Super excited to chat with you both. Perfect. Yay. I think what makes the most sense to get started here today is if, Sarah, maybe you want to give us the rundown on what The Nudge is and why we should try to pay attention. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So The Nudge texts you fun plans for things to do in your free time in your city. So hiking plans, date night plans, weekend getaways, things like that. And what that means in practice is that you sign up for The Nudge. I'll give you an example of a text that you might get. So you might get a text tomorrow night saying something like, it's going to be another rainy weekend in SF, but we're going to help you avoid merging with your couch this weekend. So here's a rainy day plan. And you get a link, you click on that link, and in our app, you watch a short-form video showing you a fellow nudger in SF or in your city going to a museum that has like a super cool glass ceiling where it's epic when it's raining. And so it's a perfect place to spend a rainy day and then where to grab brunch nearby after. And so you watch that video, it looks like something that you'd be into, and you can click a button that says details and you get all the details you need to actually make it happen. So everything from where to park, how much tickets are at this museum, what to get at brunch, so everything you need so you don't have to Google anything. And so you go out with your friends on this Saturday, you have a great time exploring a museum. And what's really powerful about this experience is to kind of think through what you would have done if you didn't get that nudge text. So It would be really easy to wake up on a rainy Saturday and turn on Netflix and just let it continue to play episode to episode. Or, you know, some people end up doing work because they they did unmute their Slack and (laughs) they don't really know what else to do on a rainy day. And so they just they don't do much or they stay glued to their phones. And so what we're all about at The Nudge is helping make it easier for you to be your best version of yourself and actually go out and do things in real life. Mm -hmm. So this is the nudge that you get is constantly changing. So it's 
Like, mm-hmm. it's not like there's just, here is the rainy day nudge we're sending out. But, like, you have someone being like, yes, the museum with the cool ceiling is indeed open right now. They're not, like, doing an install or whatever. Like, is that how mm-hmm. it works? Yeah, so it's you can think of it as really your virtual planner friend in your pocket. So just like your friend would think through what's going on in the city and the weather and what's cool to do right now, what's trending, we think through that too. And so we're on top of mind for people in SF where I live is definitely the rain has been crazy. (laughs) But you know, if it's going to be a super nice weekend, we may send you a great plan to go on a hiking or we might ask you what what you want to do and give you a hiking option, a day drinking option, a date plan option. And so we're always thinking through what's going on in your world with weather, current events, the pandemic, um, anything targeting, giving you plans that make sense for that. Mm-hmm. And the need for this app is so obvious to me as someone, especially living in a place like New York City, mm-hmm. it's hard to figure out what to do on the weekend sometimes because there's just too much stuff to go through. And of course, sometimes as my friend group's like resident planner for everything, sometimes I just don't feel like putting the effort into planning something again for the three of us to do something the third weekend in a row. <laughs> But I'm curious because there's so many ways to approach this problem and approach various solutions for it. How did you guys land on this text-based approach? Take us back to the beginning and how you kind of came to this problem and decided kind of where to take it from there. Yeah, so John is my co-founder and he's the CEO of The Nudge and he's my brother as well. So he had Mm. been working on a previous startup called Live Day a few years ago. And at the time I was working at Apple in finance. And he got really excited about making it easier for people to go out and try new things in their free time. Like you said, there's a lot involved there and a lot of pain points. So he created an app where planner friends like yourself, it sounds like, could share their plans with other people. And so when you think about if you plan this extensive going out night for your friends, you do all this planning and research, you put together this plan, And then the next day, it's kind of wasted work. But what if you could share those plans with other people? And so it wasn't wasted work. And so you could go to this app and there's just tons of different itinerary like plans for things to do in your city. And people loved it. I loved the idea of it. But what he found very quickly is that people were excited about it, but they forgot about it. So, you know, you come home after Mm. work on a Thursday night, you're super tired. It's actually asking a lot of you to be like, hey, come to our app and you know, pick a thing to do tomorrow or over the weekend. It's much easier to just kind of, again, like watch Netflix or scroll TikTok. And so we got to talking while I was at Apple and we're thinking through something that's really powerful that the planner friend does is they text you and invite you to join them on that thing. They don't just create like a Google Doc of all their ideas and expect you to go look at it. The power of what they do is they they text you and make it super easy for you. And so we got to talking and said, you know, what if you took these plans and you sent it to people instead of just creating an app that they came to? So we had a beta group where we sent them plans via different ways. It was over text, over email, over Slack, and over calendar integration. And we ran that for a few weeks to see what people liked. And we found very quickly that the people who were getting these plans over a text described the nudge in a in a really powerful way. You know, they said, This is just like my friend who's in the know. This is just like my cool friend who texts me things to do. This is just like my planner friend. And the engagement was significantly higher than any other way of getting it because you check your texts often. 
And of course, you have to build trust with people to be in their texts, which is at this time was very reserved for just friends and family. But if you can build that trust, then there's a lot of power to it because that feels supernatural for the type of content we're sending. And it leads to high engagement pretty easily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this might just be because we are writers, but I'm so curious about like, the hiring aspect of like, how do you get people that have a proven expertise and like, hey, I can make you the best New York City plan. And like, because I feel like there is a universe in which an app like this could exist. That's like, hey, New York City people, time to go to Times Square and then eat at the mm-hmm. Olive Garden in Times Square. And like, yeah, no one really wants to do one. that. Great restaurant. And like, totally. you, you have to be like a really specific kind of person to actually make good plans that aren't going to be like the touristy obvious thing to do Mm -hmm. like I live in Philly and I saw you're coming to Philly soon so I'm excited to see what kind of plans there are but like if I got one that was like go get a cheesesteak I'd be like no what are you doing right totally yeah and that would that would never happen with our process because it's really for locals by locals. And so, you know, your real life planner friend would never send you to an Olive Garden or, or whatever. Uh, because Guys, guys, that, what's all this hate <laughs> of the Times Square Olive Garden? I, mean, I love going there with my friends. <laughs> okay, maybe you would send people there. <laughs> I have with friends before been like, what if as a bit we went to the Times Square Olive Garden? <laughs> it's a great but place. But then I think sometimes... It's funny in theory to say that you're going to go to the Times Square Olive Garden, but in reality, you want to go to, like, a restaurant in Little Italy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe that's that's just because I live here. <laughs> I'm like, all right, enough of these great Michelin star restaurants. Time to meet at the real place. <laughs> well, like, really, and actually, like, that could be a nudge text, right? It's like, there's the nuance of it feels fine to get a text like that as long as you're saying, hey, I know we spend most of our time trying to find the new trendiest, hottest spot, but like when's the last time you actually went to the Olive Garden and blah, blah, blah. Like it's actually great. And we, I don't know, I don't know anything about yeah, this. And then you can go to the Margaritaville in Times Square. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, this is a whole plan of like the worst things to do in New York City. Yeah. So we, we have one person running the nudge in each city that we're in. We're in 10 cities right now. Um, we actually just hit a million users across our 10 cities, which I'm really excited about. That's awesome. But yeah, thank you. And the person running the nudge in each city is local to that city. They, You asked about hiring. They have to have lived in that city for at least five years and have a really good understanding of, of the city and the different neighborhoods. They typically are kind of the planner friend to their social group. And they you know love helping people go out and explore things. And part of their process is it all starts with kind of thinking through the POV of what's going on. And so by nature of that, and by nature of them being a local who really understands the city, they would just never send the shitty type of content that we wouldn't want to get. And that, yeah, mm-hmm. wouldn't create a, uh, an exciting product. Yeah. And kind of going off of that, though, I'm curious, how much does curation come into this? Like, say I'm a user, I live in New York, a big thing that would be like a natural push 
to maybe go do on the weekend, let's say like a Broadway show or mm-hmm. something like that. I despise musicals, mm-hmm, unpopular mm-hmm. opinion. And so I'm curious, like if I was a user and maybe I got a few things like that and did other things it was nudging me to do and liked those other things, is there any sort of feedback loop there where if I'm a user, I could be like, oh, I like when you nudge me in this direction, but like these tips don't really fit my vibe or don't fit my friend group? Mm-hmm. Or is there any kind of feedback loop like that that kind of allows more curated responses at the end yeah, of the day? Yeah, most of our nudges now, especially in a city like New York, where there's a lot of diversity and a lot of neighborhoods, we send menus and that's kind of how we offer personalization. So mm. it might be like, what do you want to do this weekend? Be active, hang out with friends and catch up, stay inside and stay warm. I'm not in New York, so I'm not great at doing this one, but um, we give you options. So the idea is like you would always like one of those options. Mm. And then another question I had. So you have a million users across 10 cities, mm-hmm. but then what happens if you're like, hey, go check out this really cool new wine bar in San Francisco and then... A hundred people go to the wine bar, but they don't have a hundred seats. Yeah, totally. So we we always keep that in mind when putting the text together because now we we have such a large audience, we do a lot more personalization versus those menus I was just talking about. And so we would never send like a super small wine bar as the main text to everyone. Or if we did, we might say like, hey, this is a great date night spot to have in your pocket. And by saying something like that, we Mm. do kind of naturally spread people over. And we also have a premium tier of the Nudge called Nudge Plus. And so we do send a lot of the like truly small things that we might not be able to send to everyone to the Nudge Plus audience. Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned that there's at least one person in each city coming up with these different plans. But just thinking kind of for myself here, because that sounds kind of like the dream job (laughs) to just like go around and try places Mm -hmm. and then be like, oh, this is cool. I bet other people would like this too. But what does their like that job look like? Is that really it? Like they go check out museum openings and stuff like that and give feedback on what they liked and stuff like that? Or is there more yeah. to it? Yeah. It's changing. Um, it's been changing over the past few months as we're starting to we're turning the nudge into more of a locals only social network. And so with that comes they are not doing all of the nudge plan ideas. Actually, they're not doing really any of the nudge plan ideas anymore. They're now spending a lot of their time managing contributors who are fellow nudgers in your city, who are typically like very adventurous, fun people spending a lot of time exploring the city. And now they are creating these short form videos to share with our audience. And so the city directors in the cities are spending a lot of time working with those contributors, writing the text messages, curating the content, more of that direction and less of the actually going out to the museum and trying the brunch spot type thing. In the beginning, they were doing that. And now as we're becoming much more um, focused on UGC, they do a lot more of kind of managing the contributors. Mm -hmm. So what does the social network look like? Is it like on the web? Is it an app? Yeah. So you know, the nudge is so inherently social. Obviously, like you get the nudge and you share it with your friend. Again, nudge plan, you share it with your friends. But historically, we didn't have a lot of social features in the app. You just did that kind of on your own. And so I'm super excited about the future of the nudge where, you know, you get a nudge plan and you've integrated your contacts into the app. It's mostly an app. And you have your top three besties that you've told us are your people you do the most of the things with pop up and you can click, you know, Shelly and it gets texted to Shelly, does she want to do this plan with you? Or you can see a feed of what your friends are doing. You know, a lot of it is coming up in the next few months, but 
just super excited about finally adding the social element that just feels so natural to the nudge in our act. And I'm also really excited about, you know, you were asking about like, what if I don't like Broadway and you send me a Broadway plan? We get around that by doing the personalization. But one thing I'm excited for as we allow anyone to post in our app of fun things to do in their city is like my favorite nudge plans are kind of niche things like backpacking plans. But not everyone is into that, especially maybe in a city like New York. So we wouldn't continuously send backpacking nudge plans to all of New York. But if now we have an app where anyone can post ideas, it now allows a place for those backpacking people who love backpacking to share their plans. And so it kind of allows some of these more niche interests to flourish on the app versus the current way that it's set up. Mm -hmm. No, because I was going to say that sounds like a really natural Mm -hmm. next step, because then if, say, you had a group of people like Amanda and I who like to do things like play Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. Like if you had us on the app and we're saying the kind of things we like to do on the weekend or things we found fun, it's easier to kind of set up a better system for people like that who aren't necessarily going to want to go to the wine bar or do some of the other more like broad interests. (laughs) Yeah, totally. My brother's super into escape rooms. And he can't wait to just like post all of his escape room plans on the bed. He was like, not everyone wants this. <laughs> yeah, which in the past, you know, we've let him post like one or two. <laughs> but, um, you know, as, as the app really becomes the one-stop shop for all experiences, you know, we want all of that content to really live on there. And then as someone who wants to look for that, you can find it. But you don't have to see it if you're not into that. I'm like, hey, Becca. I, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. but I also want to go to the wine bar. I contain multitudes. <laughs> that Venn diagram yeah. of those of us who want to play D&D and go to the wine play bar. Play D&D at the wine bar. Yeah. At the wine bar. And then you're just doing character voices. And then the other people there are like, what are you doing? Why do you have dice? What's happening? Let them be confused. <laughs> well, see, and I one thing I think a lot about is, you know, if you don't have a certain type of friend, who's into something, you don't get invited into that world. Right. So I would love to play D&D, but I don't have a friend who's invited me to play with them. <laughs> or like, I would love to go to more small art galleries, but I don't have a super artsy friend who's in the know on those things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm super excited about the nudge, breaking down those barriers and give you access to all different types of friends. So now like, if I didn't grow up with a family that knew how to camp or taught me how to camp, I can finally learn how to camp. Or maybe I'll see your D&D plan at a wine bar and can finally go try to play. And so I'm really excited about allowing people to kind of diversify what they do by meeting all of these planner friends on the edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you've talked about how much you guys have been able to grow with how many people have signed on for these notifications already. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious what you guys think about like customer retention. Because mm-hmm. say it's the summer, people, especially in a city like New York, people are getting out of the city a lot of weekends. And maybe if like you're getting these texts three weeks in a row or you're just gone on vacation, you kind of forget about it. Like, how do you think about approaching making sure that once you've got people using the app, they're going to want to just continue to use it? Yeah, our retention is great. And I think it goes back to our process because we are local and know what's going on. We're always changing the content to what is going on. So if we know that people are leaving a lot for the summer. Maybe we'll give them plans to do where they're at. Maybe we'll give them like a power hour convo to chat through with their friends, or maybe we'll give them weekend getaway itineraries, or, you know, we're constantly 
changing our content to whatever is going on. And so, you know, if it's a really bad winter, we might do some at-home plans. So I think it's always staying fresh, just given that the nature of our process and how that's set up. Yeah, we've we've had great retention so far. Mm -hmm. So do you monetize mainly through the Nudge Plus or are there other ways that you're monetizing? Yeah, so we're monetizing 100% through Nudge Plus right now. John and I decided early on from day one that we wanted to monetize via subscription to really stay fully aligned with our audience. You know, the obvious thing could have been to monetize through ads. And we really wanted from the beginning to never be incentivized to send a a restaurant or a plan or a venue that we didn't love. And so wanted to set it up from the beginning to be fully aligned with our audience. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but trust is such a big thing for you know, all consumer companies, but especially for a company that's in your text, people, you know, do really trust the nudge and talk about us as if they're their friend. And I think a big part of that is, you know, how we set up our monetization model and to ensure that there is this natural, very authentic trust between us and them. And thinking a little bit more on sort of the business side mm-hmm. of this, you mentioned at the top of the call that this company idea sort of came from something that your brother was already working on. Mm-hmm. And I'm always curious about working with a sibling. <laughs> I just can't, one, I can't <laughs> imagine what company my sister and I would even do, but I just can't imagine us getting along in any kind of fashion if we were actually trying to build something. So what has it been like building this company off of something that your brother already had in the works and sort of like creating it into something you guys were doing together and kind of like, what has it been like building in that way? Doing it with my brother has been great. It's been a ton of fun. And I, you know, when I meet other founders who have a partner, I sometimes can't imagine doing it that way because we have so much oh, interesting trust and understanding of each other that it allows us to move really quickly and and be pretty direct with each other. So sometimes I actually like now can't really imagine it being not this type of setup because it's it's just so comfortable. And yeah, there's trust is obviously a huge thing when you're building a company with someone that we don't ever have to question that. It's already there. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I think it creates a really cool culture with our team. John and I um, mm-hmm. are fun. We debate each other, but in a very respectful way. And it's created this culture of kind of strong opinions weekly held amongst our team that other people see us doing that and mimic that kind of behavior. And so, yeah, we've really built something special with our team. And I think part of that is just how close we are with each other. In terms of kind of building something off of what he was doing, I was always involved with what he was doing. So it it didn't feel like that totally unnatural. Like I had worked with him on the previous startup a lot before kind of behind the scenes and we were always chatting about it and it was always something that I was super excited about too. So when I was kind of thinking through what to do after Apple and I had done some teaching social entrepreneurship before Apple in a program. So I was always kind of looking to jump into the startup world. So when we got it started and talking about, you know, pivoting his old company and creating the Nudge, it all felt very natural and happened in a pretty quick way. And then before I knew it, I was quitting Apple. And at the time I was in Germany with Apple. So I flew back and, and joined him. So yeah, it's been great. Yeah, that's so interesting because I feel like my initial reaction was going to be similar to Becca's of like, 
I cannot imagine running a company with my brother, <laughs> mostly just because we have such different interests. Like, he works at a crypto startup, and I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, at the same time, I feel like if you get into a fight with a friend, it's like, oh, no, will our friendship recover? And then I feel like if I argue with a family member, I'm just like, ah, whatever, like, it's fine. We're whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I mean by, like, I actually can't imagine doing it with a friend or um, mm-hmm. someone that you find do interviewing or whatnot. But yeah, the other interesting thing is John and I, you were saying your sibling, you were different. John and I are pretty different too. And we come at this problem from very different perspectives. So we both care deeply about not wanting to live in a world where people are glued to our phones and constantly scrolling TikTok and watching Netflix. And we believe in people being the best version of themselves and getting out and exploring the world and trying new things. And so on that, we're very aligned. But when it comes to doing things in our free time, he really relies on people inviting him to do things. So like, you know, his his girlfriend plans a ton for him. I plan a lot of things to do with him. So he really understands the power of a planner friend. And I am more that planner friend. So the person who like, it is my nightmare to like stay in on a Saturday and not do anything. And so I will do the planning, the research to create a plan together and invite people. And so it's helpful to have those two different perspectives on the problem and kind of tackle it together. Mm-hmm. And I think the other piece of building this company up is sort of launching in different cities mm-hmm. and sort of where yeah. you guys pick to launch and sort of how you add on from there. And I'm curious because you guys, from where you're at now, you've got a good mix of big cities, mm-hmm. little cities, coastal cities, landlocked, not coastal cities. How have you guys thought about picking where to go next and how has that all come together? Yeah. So we, the first two cities were SF and Seattle, which are pretty similar cities and wanted to kind of start with what we knew and then launched in New York. And it was kind of like, okay, is this, the question was like, it's doing really well, but is this maybe just a bi-coastal thing? And so we wanted to launch in a cities that, yeah, that weren't on the coast. And then we picked Each time we launch a new city, we wanted to learn something different. So it was kind of like, we'll go after cities that are very millennial and people are moving to, and it's a very kind of trendy city with a ton to do. And the nudge should very naturally do well there. And so making sure it does well there. Then we picked another city where maybe it's much more spread out and it's harder to get around. And maybe there's not on the surface, it's not as trendy of a city that's like a hot millennial place to be. I won't say the names of the cities. <laughs> Drag them on here publicly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate Nashville. I don't know. I don't, I don't have any feelings about Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I love Nashville. I love all of our cities. But yeah, each time was kind I've of never been. <laughs> the idea of learning something new. And so it was always like, you know, could it work in a city where Chicago, let's say, for example, could work in a city where there's not much to do outside the city. You know, there's like, if you drive outside of Chicago, there's not as much to do if you compare that to SF. And Chicago has really brutal winters. So we'll work in a city like that. And how does that change things? So that's kind of an example of how we picked cities. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned that one of the most important things about building this product up is that it is like a local, I don't want to mm-hmm. say locals only, but designed for people who live in these cities looking for things to do, not going to send them to the, say, tourist destinations. But are there any plans to have maybe a slightly different product offering or ever move into that space? Because I feel like I could totally see the need, like Nashville, like we're just saying, I've never been to Nashville either. Mm-hmm. And I know when I like to travel... I like to hit the big things, like Paris, for an example. I went last year. Obviously, I went to the Eiffel Tower, went to these other things. But I also did, like, this 
cooking class, like a croissant making class at this more like not super, it wasn't popular with American tourists specifically. So it didn't, it was like kind of hard for us to find. And then we went and we're like, that was the best part of the entire trip. Totally. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts around like expanding into something that would work, be different, but like would also work for those kind of tourists who are looking kind of for that Mm -hmm. off the beaten path stuff to do when they travel. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Because yeah, when you are traveling, it's kind of your dream to have access to something like the nudge that's designed by locals and so as an Edge Plus feature right now in our app, there's something called travel mode where you can change. We have something in the app called the vault, which is where every nudge plan we've ever sent is saved. So we have hundreds of plans and they're ranging from hikes, state plans, everything. And you can switch the vault to look at different cities that were in, in the nudge. So you could look at Nashville when you're visiting there. You could look at Seattle when you're visiting there. And there's always a category that's kind of like, these are the, I forget what we call it. Maybe it's like the travel mode category, but they're plans that we think are specifically very good for people visiting that city. But they're ones that we sent out. And so we think they stand alone for Mm. people who live in that city, but they're also like the hidden gem plan that would be great for someone visiting. So yeah, I love that feature. I'm Anytime I go to one of our nudge cities, it's the best. I can just go and look at the trending nudge plans and then the plans that the person running that city thinks is the best. And I love that. Well, with that being said, I was going to ask this at the end, but I'm going to ask it now. What's the funnest thing you've done that you found out about through the nudge app? Yeah, it's a great question. It's so hard, but I'll just say the one that quickly comes to my mind. I think my favorite nudge that we've sent is this hike in San Francisco to kind of a secret beer garden that does festivals three times a year, um, like German festivals. And it's just one of those things that sounds kind of so magical. And I also love Germany, but it's just most people have not heard about it. And so when we sent out via the nudge, it did like immediately sell out the event, which is typical for when we send events. But I, I just got so excited about the idea of like all of these people having this great experience that I love and it's kind of sharing that experience with them. But anyway, I knew about that idea already. So one that I didn't know about, I think are the camping backpacking ones. Cause like I said, I, I think there's a lot of power in I didn't know, like I don't come from a family or don't have a ton of friends who are backpacking, camping experts. So and backpacking, camping, if you've tried to go, can be pretty intimidating. The mm. you know, websites, the book permits are it's kind of confusing. You don't know which sites are the best, but you want to go to the best ones and you want to make sure you pack all the right things, but how much is too much? And where can I rent gear? And there's just a ton of questions and complexity with camping. And so a lot of people just decide it's not worth that research and planning. I won't do it. But with the nudge plans, they're very, very organized and make it really easy to go out and try going camping in Big Sur. And so those are my those are my personal favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know we are getting toward the end here. And this is a big question, but I just wanted to touch on how the nudge fared throughout the pandemic because you were founded in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe that would be a circumstance in which in March 2020, you probably were not telling people to like go to a new restaurant or whatever. But like, how did that impact the app's development? Yeah. So it this can seem shocking to a lot of people, but the nudge actually, you know, thrived during the pandemic and was really helpful for people. It, it was because, you know, it, like I said, our process starts with what's going on in your world. And so obviously we weren't going to send you a date night plan to go to a restaurant when the restaurant's closed, right? So we really started with like, what are you going through? What's, what is your pain point right now? What are your city's 
guidelines right now. And at the beginning, it was kind of like, all right, all you can think about right now is trying to figure out what you're allowed to do or not. So we're going to do tons of research, talk to experts and help you know what you're allowed to do right now. And then it was kind of like, all right, we're supposed to be at home a lot. What kind of content can we send you to have fun at home? And so we did a ton of plans to cook something fun and make a cocktail or board games to order and play at home or virtual games to play with your friends on Zoom, things like that. And another example of something we did is after George Floyd's murder, a lot of our audience was really thinking through like, how can I kind of unlearn and learn things right now? How can I be a better ally? And so we partnered with a woman named Dr. Akila Kadeh, who's an anti-racism advisor. And we built a, we very quickly built a one-month program over text to help you be a better ally. And very quickly, like 20,000 people signed up for that program. A lot of companies were signing up for that. And it was it was kind of, again, doing the research and the planning that your best self would do and sending that content to you in a very digestible way. So that's just an example of like, because that was what was going through the POV, that's how we pivoted. And a lot of what you've talked about so far seems like there needs to be this pretty strong human element on your side. Humans are the ones going out, trying mm-hmm. the things. They're the ones that are going to have like real authentic feedback on what's fun to do and sort of what makes sense. And just thinking through how you guys scale, I know you mentioned earlier how people can now post their own itineraries, people who are members of the nudge and the like. But do you think this will ever be able to scale greatly without bringing some kind of automation into it, some kind of, I don't know, AI is like just like the hot word right now, mm-hmm. but I know I try to avoid talking about it 24-7, but do you think you'll ever need to kind of build that into the business model or do you think you can scale while still having that like very authentic human touch? I think, yeah, we can definitely build scale moving towards a social network model of the nudge. And so, you know, if tons of people are posting their best plans for things to do in their city. They could even write a POV description of what that plan is good for, for example, and you could follow that person and then you get a text when they upload plans that, that says the POV. And so that's just a very simple example of how it could like totally scale without one person needing to be involved with overseeing all of that. And so you can kind of think of it like a, we joke, like a healthy version of TikTok where it's built for you to actually go out and do these things. But just like TikTok can scale, you know, thousands of people can be posting on the nudge and it scales easily just like another social network. And I was also curious, knowing, I haven't heard of anything that's like, obviously like the direct similarity or direct same to the nudge but thinking past of things like foursquare and sort of some of those other networks that have been designed to try to like get people to feed off of each other in social plans and things that they've liked Mm -hmm. and a lot of those things haven't worked out so i'm curious kind of how you guys think you've managed to strike the right balance where you guys are growing, you're getting VC investment, you are seeing this growth among users. What do you, I hate the term secret sauce, but what is the secret sauce here? Like, how do you guys think you've managed to get this to click where others haven't? Yeah, so when it when you think about what you go through to actually go out and do something in your free time, there's a few steps. So you need to, one, take the initiative of having the idea of, hey, I want to do something on Saturday. Then you need to decide what to do. Then you need to know how to do it. Then you need to maybe book things and then you need to invite people. And tech companies have seemed to really focus on deciding what to do and booking things. And so Foursquare might be a good example of deciding what to do. And 
we're really doing all of it. But the big piece that a lot of companies skip over is the initiative piece. So kind of going back to the issues of the previous startup, it's a lot to ask of people on a busy Thursday night to go to an app and use and have the initiative to be like, I want to do something fun on Saturday. Okay, I'm going to go to this app. We've solved for that by texting people and reminding them that, hey, the weather's going to be glorious this weekend. You should go for a hike. I think by really tackling every piece of the challenge of going out and doing something is, you could say, is part of our special sauce or secret sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Well, perfect. This has been a lot of fun, but I think we're pretty much out of time. But thank you so much, Sarah, for being on today. And I'm excited to maybe get a nudge sometime in the near future. Always looking for stuff to do. Yeah. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, awesome. It was great chatting with both of you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Well, that was our conversation with Sarah from The Nudge. Amanda, what did you think? I thought that was really fun. I mean, I definitely am looking forward to seeing what The Nudge will tell me to do when they launch in my city. Surprisingly, I think she sold me on the co-founder sibling situation where really before that conversation, I was like never in a million years. And then now I'm like, I kind of see how that can be advantageous in some ways, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely... I don't want to say I envy people who could do this with their sibling because I consider myself to have, like, a great relationship with my sister. But, like, the most collaboration we could have in any sort of business sense is, like, correctly getting someone a joint gift, like, on time. (laughs) So, like, I can't imagine actually starting, like, a company with a sibling. But I did like what she said about how it's, like, really easy with just, like, They have the similar backgrounds. They know a lot about each other, which I could definitely see like that aspect of it being really helpful when running a company where it's like, oh, is John going to like this? And being like, oh, well, I know him so well that like I kind of know where his mind's going to be at in certain ways anyway. Yeah, I think people don't think so much about how important it is to maintain a good relationship with a co-founder or Mm -hmm. a partner on any collaborative project and how in stressful situations, which could not tell you a single startup that has never had a stressful situation. Right. It's really difficult to be patient with people, especially like when your job is on the line. And I think having such an intrinsically close relationship like siblings might make it a bit easier to be like, all right, we got in a fight the other day and that was not great, but we're moving on. Mm-hmm. No, that's such a good point. Mm-hmm. Just sort of there's more of a long to the relationship. Not that I'm saying it's a good thing that you can be like, we can scream at each other and move on. But like, it definitely yeah. does help to know that there's like deeper ties there because we don't talk enough <laughs> about the fact that a lot of co-founders do not get along. And that's why a lot of co-founders are the only founders still at their company. Yeah, I can't imagine not getting along with a co-founder. Then again, I mean, you don't have to be siblings with your co-founder to have a good relationship. Like right. people can communicate Go to therapy, learn how to understand your feelings. <laughs> no, it's so true. There's a lot of things I think yeah. founders could work on in the communication relationship building area. Yeah. But another thing that I thought was really interesting about the nudge 
is just how nimble they are. And on the one hand, that's awesome. They can change, like Sarah mentioned with the pandemic, like being able to switch from saying, oh, go to a Broadway play to, oh, this new movie dropped on Netflix, maybe watch it. Like all these different ways to keep it fresh when people were at home and how they could react with what happened with George Floyd and how people were feeling at that time. But I am curious if they're almost too nimble because I definitely thought it was interesting that she felt so confident in the company's ability to scale kind of without that technology piece. So I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm still a little skeptical of how are you going to get people in all of these cities that know the city so well that they are going to be able to cover all bases for all kinds of people. And especially like if you live in California and you're hiring someone that lives in Philadelphia and you don't know anything about Philadelphia, someone might think they know a lot about Philadelphia and then they're just telling you like where to get a cheesesteak and right. what if you're vegan? <laughs> no, that's such a good point too. And curious, maybe we should have dove into that more and maybe if we have her on for a follow-up at some point we could ask. But it is curious, like how do you vet someone to pick those because she said oh someone who's lived there for a long time and stuff like that and like that's totally valid but like I have friends who have lived here for a long time who would suggest totally different things than I would yeah I mean I think there's a bit of just natural variation in the sense of like I naturally probably would recommend more museum related activities because I used Mm -hmm. to work in museums in my city and I like art but then other people might be like hey, check out this like college sporting event that is actually very fun. And I would never think to do that. But I don't know. I mean, you and I have been (laughs) into the NCAA uh, Women's March Madness bracket. So I'm like, damn, basketball is cool, actually. Who would have (laughs) thought? Oh, I know. Yeah, I went to like, I went and saw my NBA team, the Denver Nuggets, was in town this week. And I saw them play uh, the Knicks on Saturday and the Nets on Sunday. And, like, that would be something fun that obviously something like this would, like, never... It's too niche. It's too niche, I think, to get suggested through something like this. But... Yeah. And and the one other thing that I was curious about is with what we've been saying about, oh, sometimes they might be suggesting things that aren't really things you'd be interested in doing or maybe it wouldn't fall into kind of, like, the areas that you usually hang out in or, like, want to do on the weekend is I just can't imagine retention is super easy for this. Like, I'm sure if you sign up for The Nudge and they send you something and you go and you really like it, like, you'll be anxiously awaiting the next week. But if you are out of town or you go on vacation or maybe you get a few in a row that you're kind of just like, eh, I don't know if I'd really want to do that. I just feel like this is the kind of service, especially with it being text-based, that it seems like it's almost, like, too easy to shut off. Yeah, I kind of wonder, like, what's the difference between the nudge and a well-monetized newsletter? True. Because also, like, I totally hear her on the fact that text is easily the best way to get in front of people's faces and, like, get them to actually read your content. But I don't know about you, Amanda, but I have absolutely despised the recent trend from the past few years where all marketing now just, like, takes place over text. And every company is like, oh, you want to order these shoes? Well, then give us your phone number. And it's just like, oh, okay, like, I don't really want to do that. So I get it's effective, but, like, man, I hate getting marketing texts. Yeah, but then they're like, oh, we'll give you 20% off. And I'm like, well, I want 20% off. And then I put my phone number in, and then they text me, and then I text stop, and it stops. Right. But then they still have my number, and who knows, maybe they're selling my data. Tech is a hellscape. 
But yeah, I guess I'm subscribed to so many newsletters where I want to be subscribed to them, Mm -hmm. but I just don't have all the time every week to read them. And sometimes it gets to a point where I'm like, hmm, have not read this one in like six months, maybe time to just unsubscribe. And I worry that that could happen with the nudge. But I also think that it all comes down to the quality of the curation because Mm -hmm. if they are sending you really good ideas for what to do in your city every weekend and if there is enough diversity in the plans to be like, if you want to go get drunk, do this. If you are not interested in alcohol, you can also do many other fun things or like anything of that nature. I guess they have to gain the user's trust to keep them interested. And gaining trust is hard, but it's not impossible. For sure. No, very positive outlook on it. I definitely could see like, yeah, if you signed up for this and maybe a couple weekends in a row, like took one of the suggestions and really liked it, like I could see being hooked. In the same way, it's like when you get a newsletter that you actually like look forward to reading every month, like you're going to mm-hmm. read it. So I definitely think it's going to be one of those situations where there'll be a lot of people try it and some people are going to literally try it and never do anything. But the people who like find success in the events are like going to be the ones that hang on the whole time. Like I think it's going to be kind of an extreme all in or out would be my guess. Yeah. And I guess to answer my question from earlier, what makes this different from a newsletter that happens to be over text, I guess that could also be the fact that they're trying to make this more of a social network, Mm -hmm. which I think that can be hit or miss because, I mean, I'm on a plant app called Greg, which I've written about on TechCrunch, and they did a similar thing where at first it was just like, we're using intensive data to tell you when to water your plants. And then it turned into, like, you can comment on other people's plants and, like, ask questions. And I found that really useful because, Mm. I don't know, it's like you can Google, like, why is my Swiss cheese vine turning yellow? And you're going to get, like, a lot of just, like, SEO bait articles. Mm. And hearing from actual humans who are just like, oh, yeah, maybe you, you need to, like, water it more often is more helpful, I think. So maybe that could be a way for the nudge to move beyond past just like something people have on their phones for a short period. Mm -hmm. No, that's such a good point because you're totally right. Like any sort of advice thing. And like, I know from my realm, it's like dog training stuff. Like it could be (laughs) someone I met twice. So I follow on Instagram. And if like, they're telling me to do something, I'm going to trust it 20,000 times more than like anything I read on like some random website. So I could see like seeing a list of stuff to do and being like, I don't know that person, but they took the time to post it here. Like that would probably actually motivate me more than just like seeing it on some like timeout.com, like roundup for the Mm -hmm. weekend. Can't believe we just invented influencer marketing. Found is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Plus reporter Becca Skutak. We're produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>